0: Everything up, you are to count it, all join. Now, that's a present active imperative, but it is supplied or it is further uh, characterized by a participle. Now, you lose it in the, in the Greek. Uh, some people don't understand that the uh, verses and the, the verse divisions in Scripture and the chapter divisions are not part of the original inspiration of Scripture. As a matter of fact, the uh, verse divisions were performed by a man named Robert Stevens. In the 15th century, as he was riding horseback from Paris to Lyon, France. And so I think his pen clearly jumped a few times when that horse hit a chug hole in the road because he sure got some screwy verse divisions. But uh, the verse divisions are just there to help us orient ourselves to certain passages and phrases, but they were not inspired by God. So the, the, the command to count it all joy is further defined by the phrase, That's translated knowing, but that's a bad translation because it is an adverbial participle of cause. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And last week, we saw that the word translated testing here in the Greek is the word dokimion, That's D O K I M I O N, and that has to do with a test for approval, a test to evaluate for the purpose of giving reward. It's not a test in order to determine how you're failing, but it's a test to determine and to show the genuineness of something, to to examine it and to show its value. This is a very very important word. And it is further defined as test of your faith. And the word faith here, faith has two meanings. It has a, an active meaning which relates to the faith rest drill. That you exercise faith in something. But there is always an object to faith. And that relates to a passive meaning. And the object of faith, what is believed, is Bible doctrine. And so here... What we have is, is both senses are present. It's a test to see if you're going to respond in the situation by using the faith rest drill, mixing your faith with the promises of God and the principles of doctrine. But it is also a test or evaluation to see what doctrine is in your soul and how you are going to utilize that. By these tests, you are given opportunities to utilize the doctrine that's in your soul so that you can advance in the spiritual life. Just as when you were coming up through school and you had to take various tests in order to advance from one grade level to the the next, you had to pass those tests. The same is true in in the spiritual life. You have to take certain tests so that you can advance from one level to the next in spiritual growth. So we count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials because you know a principle. You know something. This is a gnomic principle. It's true for all time. The testing of your faith the testing of the doctrine in your soul produces endurance so we have a a chain here there are tests and those tests then produce something when you pass the test it produces endurance endurance is a word uh, in the greek it's a very important word that we're going to see time and again in our in our study it's hupomonee so as we get started here, this is about where we stopped last time after we looked at the doctrine of uh of testing and the doctrine of uh, our evaluation testing. Now we're looking at the doctrine of endurance. So point number one is the word. It is Hupo monet H that's a rough breathing mark, H U P O M O N E. Hupo Monet. And hupomone means endurance, strong endurance, fortitude, persistence in the face of all opposition. I like that. It's a little long, but it gives us the idea. No, because you know that the evaluation test of the doctrine in your soul produces or increases persistence in the face of all opposition. That would be a good way to expand the translation so you get the idea of what James is saying here. It has the idea of endurance strong endurance, fortitude persistence in the face of all opposition a continuous unwillingness to give up or be deterred in the face of obstacles a continuous unwillingness that means you don't uh, give up you continue to be strong a continuous unwillingness to give up or be deterred in the face of obstacles, difficulties, hardship, resistance, opposition, and suffering. No matter how hard it gets, you're not going to give up. No matter how easy it gets to give up. No matter how attractive the temptation to just to, to, to do it the easy way and yield to your sin nature, you're not going to yield to the sin nature in order to solve the problem the easy way by using a human viewpoint, by relying upon your own sinfulness in order to resolve the situation. But you're going to exercise faith and use the doctrine in your soul so that you can be advanced in a spiritual life. Consider it all joy because you know that the testing of your faith results or produces an unwillingness to give up in the face of obstacles. Now, what are some of the obstacles? Well, one obstacle is it's easy to stay at home and not go to Bible class, not go to church on Sunday morning, to get involved in a lot of other things. And the issue becomes your priority. So one area of endurance is just the issue of priorities to stick with it in learning Bible doctrine. Because the Christian life doesn't just happen. We live in an age when you have quick fixes to everything, quick solutions. You want to have, have dinner and you don't have time. You're in a hurry. You just run down to a, a fast food restaurant and you run in and you go through the drive through window and you pick something up and you eat in the car while you go to the next thing. You go down to the grocery store and you buy microwave dinners and you can just stick in the microwave and hit a couple of buttons and zap so you there. You get on the, on the internet, on a computer, and you can just be anywhere in the world or download any information you need just like that. We live in an age when everything happens fast, but spiritual growth does not happen fast. Spiritual growth still happens the old fashioned way. It's hard, it takes slugging it out day after day, week after week, studying, learning. You know, in any given week, you and I are bombarded hundreds of thousands of times with the message of the world. And yet, we are bombarded with Bible doctrine. And we are reminded of of a divine viewpoint just on a few occasions. Sunday morning, a couple of times. Wednesday night, a few times during the week here and there. If you take the time to read your Bible, listen to tapes, whatever it may be. You're just reminded here and there. But constantly we're bombarded by the message of the world. And we've got an internal enemy, the sin nature, that is attracted to that message. It just... That's what it really wants to hear. So we're constantly fighting this battle, and it becomes an issue of priorities, an issue of always making Bible doctrine number one in your life. Uh, Endurance in the midst of the struggle because we always fight the sin nature, and the sin nature always has an easy way out, an easy solution to the problem. Remind you of the sin nature. Sin nature is that part of man that resides in the, in the cell structure of the human body that is his proclivity, his desire, his inclination to do it his own way, to sin in rebellion against God. There is an area of weakness. This is the lower section on the diagram. The area of weakness is that area which is prone to yield to personal sin. But we all have areas of strength. For example, there may be somebody over here who does not have any weakness at all in the arena of sexual temptation. Yet somebody over on this side, now everybody keep poker faces now. Somebody over here on this side just has a tremendous problem with with, uh, sexual temptation. And uh, so when this person over here yields, then this person over here just kind of puffs up their chest, and they want to judge this person over here because they yielded to that temptation. But then this person over here has no problem at all with gossip or maligning or, or mental attitude sins. And this person over here is just eaten up on the inside with problems with bitterness and jealousy and gossip and all of these other other sins. And uh, so this person can, can uh, bloat themselves up and punch out their chest because... They don't yield to that other sin. So that's why we're not to judge one another because we all have weaknesses. We all grow spiritually at different, different rates. And the issue is not what some other believer thinks about you and your spiritual growth. The issue is what does the Lord Jesus Christ think about you and your spiritual growth. So the area of strength are those areas where we're prone to do human good good deeds and the power of the sin nature because we're not, going, we're not weak in those areas, so we're not going to sin. We're going to resist that temptation and pat ourselves on the back because we were so good and just that's not the area of our weakness. The motivation in the sin nature is the lust patterns. And I still need to redo the, this uh, particular overhead. We have all kinds of lusts that we have. Approbation lust, power lust, money lust, revenge lust, sexual lust, social lust, Chemical lust, crusader lust, inordinate ambition, and inordinate competition, and pleasure lust. All of these are the lusts that motivate the sin nature. This is what drives our sin nature in several directions. And so we have those directions marked off here on the, on the right and the left. To the right, we move towards antinomianism. This is licentiousness and lasciviousness. The desire to just live life without any rules, any absolutes, doing whatever we want to, however we want to, because we rationalize that God has has saved us by grace, so therefore it really doesn't matter because Jesus died on the cross and paid the penalty for sin, so now I can do whatever I want to. All I have to do is confess it after all and God will forgive me. But there is still divine discipline and if you continue under the control of the sin nature and a trend towards antinomianism, licentiousness, and lasciviousness, then you'll end up in immoral degeneracy. Totally destroy your life in perversion. On the other hand... You may get involved in some level of uh, licentiousness and totally shock yourself into uh, reversing your trend into the other direction, and you become an ascetic or a legalist. And that is uh, trying to do good all the time, giving up, trying to impress God and other people with how good you are and with your uh, devotion to morality. And eventually this ends up, because remember, it's a product of the sin nature in moral degeneracy. And we see that in Scripture, exemplified in the lives of the Pharisees. And the Lord Jesus Christ rebuked them for being like whitewashed sepulchers, like a whitewashed tombstone. Inside, it was all dead men's bones. It was all produced by the sin nature, all those good deeds. But on the outside, to external observance, it looked good. Superficially, they were very good. They were very religious, very moral. If anybody was going to impress God or get into heaven, it would certainly be the Pharisees. That is moral degeneracy. It's very easy when we get into certain arenas of pressure, let's say sexual temptation, then if we're under the control of the sin nature, rather than fight it, it's very easy to avoid that test and just yield in uh, lasciviousness and then the pressure is gone and then we say, oh, I'll just confess my sin and move on. And that's when we fail that particular test. Hupamanes is strong endurance and persistence in the face of all opposition. No matter how difficult it gets, you keep going forward with Bible doctrine and the application of Bible doctrine as the number one priority in your life. I want to look at some, um, some passages that support this. Hold your place in James 1 and turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, we have another chain listed there, that help us understand this process in the spiritual life. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 3. Paul writes, And not only this, but we also exalt. And here we have not the Greek word kara, which is C-H-A-R-A, which is our standard word for joy, but we have a very interesting word, chalkema. Kaukema is K-A-U-C-H-E-M-A and it is normally translated to boast. And under most, in most passages it has a very negative connotation. It indicates arrogant, boasting, conceit, self-absorption, self-interest. But it also in many passages, in some passages, picks up a positive connotation within a spiritual context of rejoicing, Exalting in something to rejoice, to exalt in, and to express joy. So it has to do with outward expression of joy. Of the inner happiness that is present because Bible, Bible doctrine is in the soul. And not only this, but we also exalt. Now remember, there's a parallel here. You notice a parallel? Here and this. But we also exalt, what do we have in James 1? Count it all joy. So joy, here's the issue. Inner happiness. The expression of inner happiness. On what basis? We exalt what? In our tribulations in James, we're going to count it all joy when we encounter various tests. So here it focuses more on the tests of adversity. And the result is that we're going to exalt in that why? Knowing And once again, we have the same grammatical construction we have over in James 1. We have a present active participle. And this time, it's from the Greek word oida. But as a participle lacking the article, it is an adverbial participle of cause. That's O-I-D-A. It's an adverbial participle of cause. So again, it should be translated because you know. Notice the stress on knowledge. You're not going to be able to do what the Bible says to do. You're not going to be able to have joy or inner happiness in your life or stability unless you know some doctrine. That's the key. It starts with knowledge of doctrine. Now, there's always somebody that's going to come along and say, but, but Pastor doesn't the Scripture say that knowledge puffs up? Well, yes, it does. But if you understand the Greek, the Greek word there is gnosis. Now, gnosis, that's G-N-O-S-I-S. Gnosis, without being transferred, gnosis is what's in the left lobe of the soul, the noose, the mind. It has to be transferred by faith to the right lobe, which is the heart or cardia, and there it becomes epinosis, E-P-I. Epinosis. And that epinosis is that knowledge that the believer applies that produces spiritual growth. If you don't transfer academic knowledge over here by faith over into the right lobe, then the result is you're not going to grow spiritually anyway. And if that you come to Bible class week after week and and you continue to learn about the Bible and it just stays gnosis and you just keep accumulating all this gnosis, then it's just going to bloat you up, and you're going to end up going into all kinds of arrogance, because you're not growing spiritually at all, and before long you're going to put the emphasis on how much you know, and the fact that it doesn't matter how much you know, it doesn't matter how sophisticated your knowledge of Bible doctrine is, what matters is your application of Bible doctrine in your life, and your spiritual growth. That's what matters. This is just the end to to get to the, I mean, this is just the means to get to the end. Before you have epinosis in any field of knowledge, you have to accumulate a lot of academic knowledge. Academic knowledge is the starting point for anything. You get a brand new computer. What's the first thing you're going to have to do? You're going to sit down, you're going to take out that, that manual, and you're going to start trying to figure it out. And the first thing you're going to notice is, man, I don't understand all these words. And you're going to put it down and you're going to just say, well, I'll do it some other time. Then maybe you get somebody to come over and explain it to you. And then you begin to learn that there's a technical vocabulary associated with computers. You've got RAM and ROM and chips and floppy drives and hard disks and all kinds of other stuff going on. And you begin to learn what all of those terms mean. And then you begin to put it together. And you've got a certain amount of academic knowledge. But now comes the really hard part for some people. And that is, you've got to turn the machine on. Somebody emailed me a story the other day, and it, it, it's supposed to be a transcript from a from a situation where where a, a customer called into WordPerfect, and they needed some assistance with a particular problem. And they called in. And they said, "Well, I've got a problem. All of a sudden, I was typing on the screen, and all of a sudden, the screen went blank." And the and the, the technician sits there, and the technician says, "Well, uh, it's." It, What's on the screen? Absolutely nothing. Well, is it plugged in? Oh, is it turned on? Yes, the machine was turned on. I was typing on it. Well, is it plugged in? Well, I don't know. Well, get down there. Get down. Find the plug. Reach around in the back. You can find the plug. Trace it down. Make sure it's plugged in at the computer and at the wall. Okay, yeah, it's plugged in at the wall and at the computer. Um, so, well, there, there should be another another cord going from there up, up to the monitor. Well, what's the monitor? Well, the monitor is that black box in front of you that, where the words were appearing oh well I, I can't really see well why don't you get up maybe prop yourself up on your knee and look back there and see if it's, if it's hooked in well I can't see it's not a problem of, of my angle it's, it's dark in here there's not much light coming in from the window well why don't you turn the lights on well I, it wouldn't matter because there's a power outage The technician said, okay, here's what you do. You, you, you still have the box the computer came in. Yeah. Okay, you pack everything up in the box, put all the manuals in there, and you take it back to the computer store, and you return it. Oh, there's a real problem with this machine? No, the problem's not with the machine. You just tell those people, you're too dumb to own a computer. <laughs> now, we've all felt like that with our computers at one time or another. And I think we all feel that way about the spiritual life at one time or another. We're just not sure how this process goes and what the Lord's doing. But there is a process, and it's very clear how to get from point A to point B. Now, here in Romans 5, we see this as an example of this, and we start with knowing something, and we start by having that academic knowledge just in any arena of life. You start with academic knowledge, and the more you get, you learn... Then you transfer it by faith into the right lobe of the soul. You believe it. You internalize it. It's assimilated into your thinking. The Holy Spirit brings it back to your consciousness when you need to apply it. You begin to apply it, and that growth process takes place. So we exalt in our tribulations because we know that tr- we know something. We know a doctrinal principle. What's the doctrinal principle? Tribulation brings about. Perseverance, And the word here for brings about is a Greek word, katergazomai. I want to make sure I spell it correctly. Kat er got This is, should be an A. K-A-T-E-R-G-A-Z-O-M-A-I. And it means to produce. It means to bring about. It means to result in something. It's the exact same word that's found in James uh, chapter 1, verse 3, when it says that endurance produces its perfect result. It means to accomplish, to bring about, to overcome, to bring, about, bring from one state to another. Kat ergazamai. So it's the same concept here that we find in James, and, and that is that testing. Our tribulation produces perseverance. And what do you think the word is here for perseverance? It's our old friend that we just started studying about, Hupon Monet. H-U-P-O-M-O-N-E. Hupon Monet. So how do you get endurance? How do you get perseverance? How do you develop that in the spiritual life? By going through testing. By facing adversity. See, adversity is not optional. Adversity is also external. It is outside the soul. Adversity happens to everybody. But as we saw before, adversity is not optional. Stress is optional. Stress is the inward pressure. Adversity is the outside pressure. Of circumstances on on the soul. But stress is the inside pressure. It's the consequence of our own volition. And it is optional. And it is determined by whether or not you are exercising your volition to apply doctrine. If you are applying doctrine, then you are persevering. You're going forward. You're exercising endurance in spite of opposition. Now, what's the next thing in the chain? We have a chain here. We have a joy because of this whole chain. We know some things because we know what? We know that testing slash adversity produces endurance, persistence, continuous persistence in the same direction in spite of all the obstacles. And persistence in turn produces something else. It produces character, Christ-like character. It's translated proven character and you'll never guess we're going to find another familiar word here. The familiar word here is the Greek word da. What is it? D O K I M E, which is the feminine of that noun we saw earlier, dachimion. The verb we studied last week, Dokimazo, which has to do with testing for evaluation. The feminine emphasizes the results of the testing. And that is a tested or a proven character. It develops the strength of character. See, the ultimate goal in the spiritual life has to do with character. It has to do with producing integrity, virtue, and Integrity and virtue in the life of the believer. This is done through the production of the Holy Spirit. As you take in doctrine and you go through this process of applying doctrine in your life in the midst of tests, then the result is that the Holy Spirit produces fruit in your life. And that fruit is listed in James chapter, um, I mean Galatians 5, uh, 20 and following. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, mercy. All this is the production of the Holy Spirit. What you're responsible for is, number one, learning doctrine. That's your number one priority. Number two is you exercise faith and transfer it into epinosis. The third thing you're responsible for is positive volition and application. As you apply that doctrine in those situations, then what happens? Then the Holy Spirit produces fruit in your life. It's not your job to produce fruit. It's not your job to produce the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. It's your job to learn doctrine and apply doctrine, and then the Holy Spirit comes in and produces the fruit. Romans 5 says that because we know a principle that tribulation, adversity brings about, results in endurance, and endurance, proven character, proven character, Christ-like character, the thrust is to create in you the image of Christ. The image of Jesus Christ, so that your character mirrors the character of Jesus Christ. He is our role model. Too often in spiritual life, you'll in, in churches, you'll hear people say, well, you need to look at the pastor or the deacons or a Sunday school teacher as the role model. But if you're looking at another human being, there's always going to be their failures. And as soon as they fail, then there's a lot of disappointment, there's a lot of heartache, and there's all kinds of problems. Never put your eyes on another human being. Put your eyes on Jesus Christ. He is our role model, and we're going to see that in another passage related to this in just a few minutes proven character then results in the final stage which is hope hope is the Greek word elpis e-l-p-i-s which has to do with confidence now hope in the Bible when it uses this word is not the kind of hope we use every day we have a rather pusillanimous concept of hope we, we have this wishy-washy view well Dolly, I hope it doesn't rain on our 4th of July picnic on Friday. It may or it may not. We hope, it we hope that weather forecast is right. He hadn't been right for the last 60 days, but by gosh, we hope he's going to be right come, come Friday. We have no confidence that he will be. That's not the biblical idea. The biblical idea is confidence. We have a confident expectation because we know the truth. So hope has to do with a confidence and a confident expectation. And as our character develops and as we go through this process time and again of going through adversity, applying doctrine, and seeing how doctrine consistently works, then it develops our confidence. And in fact, all of this is tantamount to bringing us to through spiritual adolescence. We start off With our problem-solving devices, our stress busters, building the the stress buster fortress around our soul. The first stress buster is confession of sin. That restores us to fellowship, the filling of the Holy Spirit. Then the faith rest drill. Then doctrinal orientation. We learn Bible doctrine. We orient our life to reality. If you don't have doctrine in your soul, then you are completely divorced from reality. Only God teaches the truth and helps you understand what... Reality is. Apart from doctrine, you're just like a blind man in a dark room trying to figure out where the walls are and where all the fixtures are and trying to describe the colors on the wall when the lights are off and, and you've got a blindfold on. So, doctrine orientation orients you, aligns your life to the reality as described in Scripture. Then there's grace orientation. Fundamental principle is that we do nothing to earn or, to des- or deserve God's favor, God does it all. We do not try to impress God. God is the one who did everything for us. Jesus Christ performed all the work on the cross, and we simply receive it. And as we study the gospel more and more, and I make it a point continually to present the gospel, because I never know who's here or who needs to hear the gospel. And I try, almost every class, to go over the gospel at least once. That if you want to be saved, it's through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. All you have to do is say, Father, I believe Christ died on the cross for my sins. Now, if you're a believer, you don't need to hear that to become saved. But you do need to hear that over and over again, because it's only by the repetition of it that we begin to unpack all that was given to us in that gift of salvation we begin to think and meditate on the whole concept of grace and what that means and as we, as we explore that concept in our mind we begin to orient our lives more and more to grace and then we come to the uh, sixth problem solving device which is a personal sense of our eternal destiny this is where hope comes in So when the Bible talks about hope or confidence, it's talking about what comes at this stage in your spiritual growth. And it's right at about this time that you begin to go from spiritual adolescence to spiritual adulthood. Now the interesting thing about all of this is that that there's nothing worse than having a church full of spiritual adolescents. If those of you who have been parents think about what it's like to have two or three adolescents in your house... They think they know all the answers. They think they know more about life than you do. They just have a little bit of knowledge but they're dangerous. Just wait till you get a church of spiritual adolescents and they all think they know more than the pastor. They just have a little bit of doctrine he's been studying the word for years and years and uh, they all want to tell him what the scripture means and they don't really don't want to listen. It's a real pleasure to have a church full of spiritual adolescents. You move here and you move to personal love for God the Father, unconditional love for all mankind, inner happiness and occupation with Christ. These are the stress busters. As you grow in your understanding of Scripture, uh, grow in the uh, grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, and you begin to apply these things, they build a fortress around your soul so that when adversity comes, it protects you. And you utilize these stress busters and no matter what the adversity, no matter what the difficulty, the affliction or the tribulation, you are going to respond positively by applying doctrine and move forward in your spiritual life. Romans 5.5 concludes the thought there, And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. This is the filling of the Holy Spirit, who is the, uh, that's one of the two power options in the spiritual life. The other is the Word of God. So, perseverance, point number three. Point number two is key biblical passages of Romans 5, 3 through 5. And a second one is 1 Peter 1, 7, that the proof of your faith, 1 Peter 1, 7 says that the proof of your faith, and what do you think that might be in the Greek? Dachymion. Familiar words now. Dokimion, the proof. That's spelled D-O-K-I-M-I-O-N. The proof, the evidence, from evidence testing, from evaluation testing, develops proof or evidence. The evidence of faith, once again, we have the concept here, both a passive concept and an active concept. The evidence of the doctrine in your soul being more precious than gold, which is perishable even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now I want you to remember this verse. This verse is telling you that as you go through this process and as the proof of your faith is, given, is evidenced, and as this proven character is exemplified, it is more perishable than gold. I mean, it's more precious than gold, which is perishable. And it is what results in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, what counts is the proof of the doctrine in your soul which comes as a result of your passing, evaluation, testing so point number two in the doctrine of endurance are key biblical passages romans 5 3 through 5 and 1 peter 1 7 point number three perseverance is developed through learning doctrine romans 15 4 for whatever was written in earlier times that in that passage technically refers to the old testament for us it would include the entire old and new testament Whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So this introduces or reminds us of the key element. A minute ago I referred to the filling of the Holy Spirit as power option number one. Well, the Scripture, or doctrine, is power option number two. And they always work together. You never have one without the other. You're always going to run into somebody who's going to say, well, God spoke to me. Well, did you have a tape recorder? I always want to ask that. Did you have your your tape recorder with you and did you get it on tape? Well, no, it was just inside of me. Well, how do you know it was God and it just wasn't some chemical imbalance? There's all sorts of people running around with chemical imbalances that that see God appear to them or see Jesus or, or Mary or somebody... Um, How do you know? The Holy Spirit never operates apart from the Word of God. The Word of God, when it is utilized apart from the Spirit of God, always produces legalism and self-righteousness. The Spirit of God, apart from the Word of God, always produces subjectivism, mysticism, and emotionalism. When the Word of God is working together in tandem with when the spirit of god is working in tandem with the word of god then you always have will have true biblical christianity you will always have spiritual growth perseverance is the result of that it is the result of studying and learning and assimilating into our souls that which was written beforehand and the result of that according to romans 15:4 is that we have confidence, hope, a confident expectation. Colossians 1.11 relates it to the Holy Spirit, that we may be strengthened with all power. A Power there refers to the power option of the Holy Spirit, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. For the... Pull that out. For the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously. To attain all steadfastness and patience joyously. So there we see a connection again between endurance and joy. Point number four. Endurance is related to occupation with Christ. Turn with me to Hebrews 12.1. Endurance is related to occupation with Christ. Occupation with Christ means that the focus of our mind, the focus of our thinking, is on Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not, and this is not doctrine, this is my personal opinion, I am not a real fan of what, I forget what they're called now, some fancy, cutesy term, but, but the, a lot of Jesus wear because I think that we trivialize the gospel by putting it on t-shirts and coffee mugs and whatever else we want to put it on. I learned that in seminary when Campus Crusade was running this ridiculous evangelism campaign called I Found It. Not biblical. God found us. We didn't find Him. He's the one who sent His Son. We didn't do anything. And all over Dallas, they had these I found it bumper stickers and billboards and everything else. Honk if you love Jesus. And all these things were coming out of the Jesus movement of the early 70s. And I was witnessing to a Jewish man who uh, lived in an apartment complex near a friend of mine who also was going to seminary. And we were talking with him and he said, you know, as Jews, we have a higher view of God than you Christians do. We're not going to trivialize God by putting him on a billboard or a bumper sticker. That hurt. That was a real zinger. And so we do this. Now there's a little phrase that's on this Jesus where now said, "What would Jesus do?" Well, even though it's trivialized on at-shirt, that's really the point of putting our focus on Jesus Christ, is asking ourselves the question. What would Jesus do? Now, the problem is that most Christians out there don't know enough doctrine to to fill a thimble. And so they're running around going, what would Jesus do? Oh, gee, you know, how do I feel about this? What would Jesus do? It's all subjective nonsense. The only way to know what Jesus would do is to be an expert in the Scriptures. To know the mind of Christ, which is the Word of God. If you don't know the mind of Christ, you won't have a clue as to what Jesus would do. Because you're ignorant of what Jesus says about how He does things. You have to know the Word of God if you're going to get anywhere in the spiritual life. And this is the principle that we see mandated here in Hebrews 12.2. We are to fix or focus our eyes... That's not our physical eyes, but the perception quality of our soul, the eyes of our mind, the focal point of our thinking. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter, and that word really should be translated completor. That word telios, as we're going to see in, the next, in this very passage, never means perfect in the Scriptures Once. It means to bring to completion. And that's what He did on the cross. He brought to completion all of the Old Testament doctrine. He is the focal point of the Old and New Testaments. He is the author and completer of faith who, for the joy said before Him, once again we find this concept of inner happiness and joy as the motivator for us, the joy set before Him endured. There's our word again. Notice how frequently these words appear together. Endurance, joy, and focus. Fixing your eyes. Now, is that an emotional concept? No, it's not. It's a thought concept. It's cognition. It's thinking. Put the focus of your concentration, your mindset on Jesus, who for the joy set before Him Endured the cross, despising the shame, he had his priorities right, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider, verse 3, consider him. Once again, it's a thought command. Consider him who has endured perseverance, such hostilities by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. So that you may not grow weary. Once again, the emphasis on endurance. Endurance. Hanging in there. The evaluation of doctrine through through testing is what produces or brings about endurance. Now let's turn back. We're at Hebrews 12. Just turn two or three pages and you'll be back in James 1. So the process is that we know something. We know a doctrinal principle that testing, the testing of the doctrine in our soul, produces endurance. But then endurance has Another consequence. And let endurance have its perfect result. Now, this is a command in the. We don't have a third person command in English. We address commands to one person, but this is a third person command, a third person imperative. You all, it's in the plural, you all, let endurance have its perfect result. Result. Let it have its perfect result. That you may be perfect. Okay, we have to stop and we have to talk about this very, very important word that I just mentioned in regard to to Christ. Telios. It's T-E-L-E-I-O-S. Now, in all of Greek literature, it can have one of two meanings. Now this may—I'm going to use some big words here. Don't let that throw y'all. Explain them. The first is that it can have a qualitative meaning. It's talking about the quality of something. Quality can be poor or good. Quality can be um, imperfect or perfect. The concept of perfect is a quality term. Or it can have a quantitative meaning, which has to do with something that is incomplete or complete. And this is its meaning every single time the word is used in the New Testament. It has to do with something that has been brought to its finished result, its completion. So when we look at this passage, it says, "...let endurance..." have its completed work. Endurance is going to complete something. What is it going to complete? Endurance is going to complete your spiritual growth. Endurance is going to complete this fortress around your soul that protects you from adversity. through confession, filling of the Holy Spirit, faith, rest, doctrinal orientation, grace orientation, and so on, all the way around to occupation with Christ. As you learn doctrine, that doctrine begins to flow from one square through to all the others. It's not, that it's not a static concept. You don't build one block and then the next block and then the next block. It's more fluid than that. And the doctrine flows around your soul... And where doctrinal orientation is getting bigger and bigger and bigger, the doctrine flows on around and you already begin to use the occupation for Christ at an elementary level. And as you do this, this wall, a fortress around your soul begins to uh, thicken and to strengthen. And it protects you. And The more you do these things, the more you practice them, the, the more adept you will become at using them. And the stronger you will become in your spiritual life. And the easier it will be to use these uh, principles the next time. And you will grow. And (coughs) the doctrine then, the endurance then, completes your spiritual life. Completes that growth. That's the completion here. Let endurance, as you persist in coming, learning, applying doctrine, time and time again, then the result is spiritual growth and your spiritual life is completed and you move towards uh, spiritual adolescence and then spiritual adulthood and spiritual maturity. Let endurance have (coughs) its completed result that. This is a HENA clause that introduces a purpose-result clause. Both ideas are there. There's a purpose for this. And that is that it brings about a certain result. And that result is that you may be perfect. This isn't perfect. This isn't moral perfection. This is the idea of completion. That you may be complete. That you may be a mature believer. That you may be complete and whole. And the word there for whole is halakleroi. It's not complete. New American Standard gets this all confused. Hala, in fact, Whole, our English word whole comes from the beginning of this. H-O-L. Hala Clayroy, Hala Clayroy, Complete and whole in your soul. Now, this is going to be very important because in about two weeks, we'll finally get down into um, verse 8, which says, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. This person is incomplete. He's got a fragmented soul. Every person comes into this life and starts operating on the sin nature starts fragmenting their soul from day one. And if you really yield to the sin nature in a lot of different ways, you can just really mess up your life, go into a lot of neuroses and psychoses, and just be absolutely nuts because of how you yield to your own sin nature. And you are incomplete. The contrast is to the believer who is whole. The more you Advance in the spiritual life, the more your soul is fortified, the more you move in your character towards Jesus Christ, the more you become everything God intended for you to be as a human being, and the more whole you are. So you will become complete and whole in your soul, which means that you are brought to spiritual maturity, lacking in nothing. Now boy, that is a powerful phrase. That means that if you move towards spiritual maturity... You lack nothing. God has provided everything, everything for you. And that brings us to what I want to close with tonight in the last two or three minutes. And that is a very important and critical doctrine which we will expand on in coming weeks. The doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture. The doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture. I'm going to start with the doctrine of inspiration which is found in 2 Timothy 3.16. So you can leave James 1 for now, turn back two or three books to 2 Timothy 3.16. Here we read all Scripture. Every single Scripture. Not only is every Scripture, every verse inspired by God, but every single word. The tense. The grammatical position is inspired by God. And the Greek word for inspiration there is seo-noustos. T-H-E-O, which is the word for God, and P-N-E-U-S-T-O-S, which is the word for wind or breath, the word we use for spirit. It means to breathe out by God. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate. There's our word. Sufficient means adequate. Now that sounds like kind of a halfway word to us today. Adequate means complete, whole, needing everything you need. If something is adequate to the task, you don't need anything else. It supplies everything you need. So right here we have this word, adequate, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every. Every good work. Not some, not most. Every good work. So, the corollary to the doctrine of inspiration is the sufficiency of Scripture. That the Scripture sufficiency is defined in the dictionary. It means as much as needed. All that is adequate to the task. So, the doctrine of sufficiency means that God has given us as much as we need to handle any situation in life. He has given us all that we need to handle any situation in life and that Bible doctrine is more than adequate to the task. I don't care what the problem is. I don't care what the tribulation is. I don't care how difficult the situation is. Bible doctrine can solve every problem. To say other words impugns the character of God. God the Father in eternity past knew every single problem. Every situation, every heartache, every difficulty, every tragedy that you would ever face. Billions of years ago. And He provided everything you're going to need in order to resolve that situation with tranquility, contentment, stability, and joy. Period. He didn't have to wait after He gave the Bible 1,900 years or 1,870 years for Sigmund Freud to come along with psychology and psychological insights in order to give us the categories needed not only to analyze problems, but to solve problems. Okay? It's a critical point right now. Psychology is a competing system with the Bible. An excellent book written by a Roman Catholic Jesuit called The Seduction of Psychology clearly points out how it is a competing religious system. You can either have psychology or have the Bible, but you can't have both. And the concept of being Christian psychiatry or Christian psychology, it's not Christian, it's bad psychology or psychiatry. In fact, Christian psychiatry is neither Christian nor psychiatry. It's more like shamanism. And there are some good books, Dave Hunt's written a few, that indicate and show its connection to shamanism in fact and it runs contrary to what the bible says let's turn back to second peter chapter 1 verses 3 and 4 and we'll close here second peter chapter 1 3 and 4 seeing that his divine power now when we talk about god's divine power here in second peter 1 3 to 4 When we talk about His divine power, we're talking about God's provision of the Scripture. It becomes clear in verse 4 when it talks about His promises. We're talking about His provision of the Scripture. His ability to provide everything we need. Based on His omniscience and knowing everything that we would need. His divine power through God the Holy Spirit, who breathed out the Scriptures has granted to us, that's the Greek word didomi, which is always means grace, to give, not because we deserve it, but because He wanted to, has given to us everything, everything, not some things, not most things, but everything pertaining to what? What are the two categories? Life, which is the Greek word zoe, Z-O-E, and Godliness which is the Greek word eusēbeia, E U S E-U-S-E-B-E-I-A. Now, life here, as we're going to see in our study on the Gospel of John on Sunday morning, has to do not only with eternal existence, but it has to do with a quality of life. Jesus said, I came not like the thief to steal and destroy, but I came to give life and to give life abundantly. So if you want to have abundant life, the source is Jesus, not Freud, not Jung, not Maslow, not um, any of these other gurus that are running around today that uh, try to give people solutions to all their problems by merging the Bible with psychology. Everything is in the Scriptures. To add to the Scriptures is to invalidate and blaspheme the God who gave the Scriptures. Everything pertaining to life and what? The spiritual life. You sube a godliness is an old-fashioned word that refers to the spiritual life of the believer. Now think about this a minute. He gave us everything we would need pertaining to life, to have capacity for life, love, happiness, to grow in the quality and appreciation for everything we have, and godliness, the spiritual life. How? How do we get this? Through. Through what? Through the true knowledge. Whoa, what's that word? Epinosis. We've run into that a couple of times already tonight. Epinosis. This is the full knowledge. Left low of the soul is the noose, or the mind. That's where we get gnosis. Accepted by faith transferred by the Holy Spirit into the right lobe, which is the heart, our cardia. The Bible calls it the heart. That's not emotion. It has to do with the seat of our deepest thoughts. And here, this is called epinosis, full knowledge doctrine. This is what is, becomes applied towards spiritual growth by the Holy Spirit and produces uh, spiritual growth. His power has given us everything that's Bible doctrine pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these, these what? These uh, by His glory and excellence, He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. How do you escape the corruption? That's problems. How do you escape it? application of doctrine His magnificent promises the point is all you need is the Bible that's it one time I got in a discussion with some people one person there was a Christian psychotherapist he was talking about how wonderful her spiritual life was once she discovered that uh, principles of psychology and I said are you telling me that for 1900 years, people had problems in all kinds of things, whether it has to do with, with uh, role relationships or eating disorders or, or abusive relationships or all these things that nobody could really, really solve those problems because number one, they couldn't accurately identify them without psychology. And number two, since they couldn't accurately identify them, they couldn't even apply Doctrine correctly. You're telling me that for 1,800 years, nobody could live the spiritual life until psychology came along. I've done that about three times and and you just wouldn't believe how those people become vicious monsters at that point. They lose all joy in their life if they ever had it. Believe me, There's only one thing that matters. There's only one thing that's going to get you through the difficulties in life. Now, you may become functional by going to a psychotherapist. You may be able to sort of manage your stress. But the Bible says you will avoid stress, you will glorify God, and you will have joy and happiness and stability and contentment beyond anything you can imagine if you apply doctrine in your life. That's the only hope. You don't ever merge it or compromise doctrine with anything else. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes in prayer. Father, we thank You for Your Word, that it is Your Word that is our lamp. It is Your Word that is a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. Father, it is Your Word that gives us sure and certain guidance. It is Your Word that gives us absolute truth. Our Lord prayed the night before we went to the cross that we were to be sanctified by means of truth. And that if we would know the truth... That is Bible doctrine. Then we would be free, free from the dominion of sin, the power of sin in our lives. And Father, we thank You for Your Word and all that we learned from it. And we pray that God the Holy Spirit would bring these truths continually to our minds and strengthen our confidence in You in Your Word and in the value of doctrine for our lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.